Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. A case that is pending before the Supreme Court of the United States could have profound implications for human rights and corporate social responsibility around the world. The case is called Jessner versus Arab Bank. It's a lawsuit in which the plaintiffs allege that Arab Bank, which is a Jordanian financial institution, facilitated payments to terrorist groups that carried out attacks in Israel, killing and injuring them. Now, a case involving foreign victims of a terrorist attack carried out on foreign soil by a foreign group would not typically be the business of the U.S. legal system. But the plaintiffs in this case are pursuing damages using a law that has been on the books since the 18th century called the Alien Tort Statute. And according to my guest today, Dr. Zachary Kaufman, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the plaintiffs, this statute could influence corporate decision-making and even U.S. foreign policy for years to come. Zachary Kaufman is a senior fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and is teaching at Stanford Law School. He is also, like me, a Humanity in Action senior fellow. So, of course, this is a great opportunity to plug the Humanity in Action Fellowship Program. Applications are open for the next summer fellowship program. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and you'll find a link to the application there. And if you have any questions about Humanity in Action, do send me an email. You can use the globaldispatchespodcast.com homepage contact button. I'm happy to steer you in the right direction. Okay, now here is my conversation with Dr. Zachary Kaufman. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. These are survivors of terrorist attacks in Israel and the Palestinian territories, as well as relatives of um, some of the deceased uh, from these terrorist attacks. So this plaintiff group is suing Arab Bank um, under the Alien Tort Statute. And the Alien Tort Statute um, is a, a very old statute of the United States that says that the district courts shall have original jurisdiction of any civil action by an alien for a tort only committed in violation of the law of nations or a treaty of the United States. And, and this so goes this back is, to like the 18th century, right? This is, this is, it does. It's, yeah. an, it's an extremely early statute uh, in, in the U.S. In many ways, over the last several uh, decades, it's kind of been um, rediscovered in a way uh, and applied to, uh, to various cases. And so 
the the matter before the Supreme Court in this case is that the plaintiffs are suing a bank uh, called Arab Bank, which is headquartered in Jordan, but also has branches around the world, including one in uh, New York City. And so uh, the the plaintiffs are uh, alleging that uh, Arab Bank knowingly financed and facilitated the terrorist attacks that they suffered. And so they should properly be sued or, or could be sued. And so the, the, pre the question before the court is whether the alien tort statute would permit corporate liability under, under its terms. And, and the alien tort statute is a vehicle that human rights groups in the past have used to press for claims against human rights violations that have occurred outside of the United States. Is that right? Exactly. And so uh, along the way, the, the courts have been trying to assess which, which of those types of claims are um, legally permissible, which of these suits can actually uh, proceed. And um, in, in and in Kyobo, uh, a previous case before the Supreme Court, um, the court decided that that petition when a petitioner group or an individual petitioner wants to assert uh, an alien tort statute claim, uh, the claim needs to touch and concern. Um, so there needs to be a nexus um, that's sufficiently close as to permit um, such a such a claim. And so. Uh, that's one of the issues that um, the court is trying to assess in in this case. Like there has to be like an American connection to this human rights violation that occurred abroad. That's right. And and specifically under Kyobo, uh, the touch and concern has to be, quote, su with sufficient force to displace the presumption, end quote, against uh, extraterritoriality. And so the presumption against extraterritoriality extraterritoriality um, basically is a, a shorthand way of saying that um, situations that are not sufficiently close in connection to the, to the United States um, are uh, presumptively outside the jurisdiction of, of our court system. So in Jessner versus Arab Bank, the, the victims are claimed, the, the, you know, I, I suppose it's families of victims or victims of terrorist and survivors attacks, and survivors are claiming that Arab Bank was used to finance the terrorist activities that funded the attacks that that injured them. That's, is that right? That's right. The the allegation is that the that Arab Bank used its New York branch to collect donations, to transfer money, and also to serve as a sort of paymaster for uh, terrorists. Um, and that the bank was distributing U.S. dollar payments um, in in the millions. Uh, to finance suicide bombings and to make um, what are often known as martyrdom payments, which are payments rewarding families of um, of terrorists uh, for killing innocent civilians. So there's this allegation that that um, Air Bank knew uh, what it was doing and that the New York branch of it was involved in that process. So why does this case uh, have such important and profound implications for both U.S. foreign policy on the one hand, but also corporate social responsibility on the other. So I'll start with uh, corporate social responsibility. Arab Bank, uh, in in addition to lots of other companies, of course, um, you know, like to uh, boast or claim their corporate social responsibility uh, to their local, national, perhaps even the international uh, community, and um, basically they they you know, suggest that they are responsible 
uh, members and um, perform their services in a socially, sometimes even environmentally uh, conscious uh, fashion. And so, you know, most of those CSR, corporate social responsibility um, activities are, you know, they're they're purely voluntary. um, And they, of course, have uh, reputational uh, consequences if they're uh, violated. But what this would do with this case, if it were to proceed um, in a ruling against Arabank, um, is to also perhaps even make uh, legal uh, or make required through law um, a, a certain type of, of corporate social responsibility. Um, so so this, this is profound. This case has profound significance, um, potentially at least, for uh, corporate social responsibility, even of corporations that are headquartered outside the United States as Arab Bank is. So, now, in terms so of, well, 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 just just to follow that thread uh, a little bit. So if the just if the Supreme Court rules against Arab Bank, the idea is that it would imply that corporations around the world have certain sets of responsibilities they must uphold for fear of being sued in American courts. That's correct. If they could satisfy the touch and concern test under mm-hmm. Kiobel. So it's not, it wouldn't just be any corporation. It would be a corporation that has a sufficient nexus to the United States such that the jurisdiction could be asserted uh, in the case. Like, what are some possible scenarios in, uh, regarding like how a company might need to change it, its behavior if it does have that kind of touch and concern, if it satisfies that, that touch and concern threshold? Well, uh, in, in the case at hand, Jessner versus Arab Bank, um, the allegation from the petitioners is that the bank knowingly was financing and facilitated facilitating terrorism. So, uh, you know, one consequence of this case, if, if a, a, a ruling was made against their bank, is that uh, financial institutions could not, at least knowingly, uh, finance and facilitate terrorism. And if you did, if, if such a financial institution did, it could be held civilly liable uh, under a ruling against Arab Bank in this case as a precedent, um, you know, for substantial uh, sums of money. Um, and and so on on the the second part of the question on how this ruling may affect U.S. foreign policy more broadly. I mean, what what's your analysis? Like, how if uh, the ruling you know is in favor of Jessner, how would would sort of U.S. foreign policy be affected in any meaningful way? The U.S. government submitted an amicus brief uh, in Jessner versus Arab Bank, and it talks about its foreign policy interests in the case. It talks about how it has a close relationship with Jordan, which is where Arab Bank uh, is headquartered, and Arab Bank is the, the largest financial institution uh, in that country. And it also talks about its um, ongoing uh, cooperation with Arab Bank itself in combating uh, terrorist financing. So there, there are um, different ways of sort of looking at the foreign policy uh, issue. There, there might be ways that uh, the foreign policy interests of the United States could be harmed, and this is what the uh, the amicus brief uh, that the U.S. government submitted claims. If um, such a case proceeded against Arab Bank, um, for example, as the U.S. government argues, its relationship with Jordan and with Arab Bank could both be harmed, and therefore it, the U.S. government's ability to cooperate with Jordan, which is a, um, it asserts as a close ally in combating 
uh, terrorism that, that that would suffer and also its relationship with Arab Bank um, would suffer. Now, if we are to believe the, the plaintiffs, though, um, then Jordan, uh, or at least Arab Bank, have not been sufficiently uh, rigorous in their, um, in their combating of terrorist financing through uh, Arab Bank. And if indeed Arab Bank knowingly, knowingly uh, facilitated and financed terrorism, then they were actually complicit um, and fully cooperative. And that would cut against the U.S. government's claim that Arab Bank is such a cooperative, uh, sincerely, um, you know, cooperative uh, partner in combating uh, uh, terrorism and, and terrorist financing. So, on the one hand, the U.S. government argues that um, certain relationships could suffer, certain of its relationships could suffer, and that would be detrimental to um, combating terrorism. But on the other hand, I would assert that if the case were to proceed. An Arab bank were held accountable, and it is true. And if it is true that that it knowingly did finance and facilitate terrorism, then I would argue that this case could actually help promote uh, combating of terrorist financing and therefore terrorism uh, around the world, which is in the interest, uh, of course, of the U.S. government. Even though um, uh, the case doesn't involve this particular case doesn't involve Americans. Americans, of course, are targeted around the world uh, in terrorism, and terrorism, of course, um, is used against the United States on our soil. And so uh, precedent, the precedent of this case, if it were to be resolved against Arab Bank, could actually be used in the U.S. government's favor to protect American citizens abroad or at home um, and also to combat uh, terrorist financing worldwide. Is the amicus brief that was filed by the, the Trump administration, I mean, something that you could also see coming from the Obama administration, as in there's not much sort of ideological about it so much as wanting to uphold the ability of, of the White House and, and the executive branch of just conducting foreign policy on its own terms? Former uh, Obama administration officials have also uh, filed an amicus brief. And they uh, they argue that the foreign policy and national security interests of the U.S. government could indeed be promoted uh, if um, if this case were ruled against Arab Bank for for reasons um, you so just articulated, probably. That's that's exactly right. So I can't I can't speak for the entire you know I can't speak to the entire Obama administration, but I think that the amicus brief that's certain national security officials who served in the Obama administration um, have, you know, have presented in a brief they, they also have filed. Um, I think that that, that could uh, represent some of the, the views of, um, or does represent some of the views of former Obama administration officials. So I'm not going to ask you to like predict the outcome of this, uh, of this ruling, but I mean, in general, do questions about the alien tort statute, um, sort of divide themselves along the kinds of ideological lines that we've become accustomed to on the Supreme court between like the originalists on the one hand and the, you know, the liberals on, on the other hand. I think, I think the ideological line, um, isn't so much sort of conservative and, and liberal, uh, or originalist. Um, I think it's more about, uh, you know, 
first of all, the, the text of the aliens tort, tort statute is very sparse. It's a very short um, uh, amount of, you know, uh, sentence. And, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the meaning of the text, you know, is, is, um, has been battled in, in courts and in, you know, uh, limitless law review articles. And, you know, even though it's, uh, you know, a few hundred years old, we're still, um, we're still trying to figure out its full meaning and application. And, you know, certainly you're correct that there's, there is traditionally a divide between conservatives and um, progressives on protecting the operations of, of corporations and not encroaching upon um, their, uh, their activities as much. Um, and, and that may certainly be animating um, some of the opposition to applying the alien tort statute to uh, corporations to uh, find civil liability. Um, but there's also just sort of a general, um, you know, confusion still, I think, uh, about what, what really the alien tort statute, uh, claims. And, um, and, and, you know, people are spilling, you know, tons of ink over, over this issue now, and, and hopefully the case will bring some clarity. Well, it also seems from from like a, a political standpoint, I mean, this is a, a very clarifying case as well, because you have like, what would be in an American domestic political context, a very sympathetic plaintiff, you know, victims of terrorist attacks in, in Israel, um, versus like a, a big corporation. Uh, whereas like in, in other sort of political contexts, you could have like, you know, some random you know, lefty group versus like a big corporation might not inspire the same sort of, of sympathy to the extent that Supreme Court justices are, are swayed from by these kinds of, of political considerations. That's right. It is it is a very sympathetic uh, um, group of plaintiffs. Um, I mean, people have died. Um, people were killed uh, because of the activities that um, if the plaintiff's accusations are correct, were facilitated by um, by our bank. Um, and so um, it is a very sympathetic uh, case, and um, that's part of the reason that this is that this case is is drawing so much uh, attention. Um, I, I should also say that you know it's possible that the case will not be resolved on the merits. Um, it's entirely possible that the Supreme Court may remand the case back down um, to um, to have some sort of a determination over the jurisdictional question of whether. Uh, the petitioner's claims in this case even satisfy the touch of concern standard that was identified in Kiobel. Um, so, you know, as we've been discussing, the the um, the connection to the United States is through the the New York City branch, the Manhattan branch uh, of this uh, bank. But the the terrorism itself, the the victims, the perpetrators were all outside the United States. And so um, it, it could very well be the case that the Supreme Court decides that um, that just more uh, more needs to be determined um, at, by a lower court as to whether um, the jurisdiction is even satisfied in this matter. And, and, and that's just one of the reasons why I've always been fascinated by the alien tort statute as a vehicle for you know advancing or, or pursuing claims against human rights violations consider uh, committed abroad. I mean, it seems like. It's not perfect, but it's it's the closest thing the United States has to a kind of universal jurisdiction, which you know other other governments other sometimes claim, but this is kind of the closest we seem to have toward it. That's right, and 
um, you know, when we're talking about universal jurisdiction, we should also, um, of course, remember that the U.S. has uh, um, had a, a, a real hostility towards that uh, principle. Um, of course, the U.S. is sort of uniquely positioned in having um, so many troops uh, stationed around the world and so many enemies uh, in the world. And there have been various allegations, um, you know, over time that the U.S. has uh, committed that the U.S. itself has committed uh, human rights uh, violations, uh, and so some countries and some plaintiffs, who, you know, outside the country have um, asserted, uh, you know, claims against against the United States, and the U.S. of course has uh, tried to protect itself um, from having any liability, um, either you know through its civilian uh, leaders or through its uh, military, and. Um, uh, and so generally has a, has opposed, uh, you know, and anything that any, any efforts that could bring Americans under uh, universal jurisdiction. And, and this also animates, um, part of the U S government's hostility towards, uh, the international criminal court, that the idea that, um, that Americans, uh, might be subject to, uh, to the jurisdiction of this independent court. Uh, well, Zach, this is is fascinating, and uh, I, I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you very much, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Zach for taking time to speak with me, sharing some of his uh, insights. I've, I've known Zach for a while, so I knew this was going to be an interesting conversation. We actually had set out to talk about something else, but I saw just before uh, I set up this interview that he had written about this case, which seemed really interesting to me. Uh, I knew a little bit about the alien tort statute, how it had been used over the years as a vehicle in which domestic American groups uh, pressed for claims against human rights abuses that occurred abroad. I saw that he had written on it. I did not know about this specific case, so I was glad to, to learn about it and learn more about what its broader implications are for U.S. foreign policy. So big thank you to, to Zach for speaking with me on this, basically on, on the fly. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.